talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Hello world, here's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. We have a dream, we go traveling together. We spread a little love and then we'll keep moving on. Something always happens whenever we're together. We get a happy Hello and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at Ant-Man and the Wasp, released in June of 2018, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach demanding the deselection of MPs that attended a rally against anti-Semitism, Martin Scorsese being recognised as an Italian citizen, or Jennifer Aniston in Dumplin' instead. I'm Phil Cashel, I didn't tweet anything about Ant-Man and the Wasp when I was watching it again, so here's what Tim tweeted when he did his. A screwball romantic comedy with insect-inspired biotech suits and molecularly unstable villain is a perfect change of tone, as well as doing a funny take on Infinity War's cliffhanger. Also Scott's ex and her new guy liking him is a charming touch. Fantastic. That's what Tim had to say about it, and joining me to give his thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp is writer and podcaster Tim Worthington. Tim, where can people find you, apart from here, obviously, on your podcast? I was going to say, normally they can find me hosting this. Thank you for standing in this host this time, because there were two things that I really wanted to do which is the defenders on this because i love this film so people i assume they know where to find me anyway but if they don't timworthington.org and you know a number of other places out on blue six on twitter generally poking around libraries if libraries were open but needs must at the moment i just poke around a single individual book right now (laughs) surely you have more than one book i'm sure you have enough books you can call it a library come on okay so before we go any further tim what happens in ant-man and the wasp scott lang who's ant-man and hope van dyne who's the wasp have fallen out after the events of captain america civil war and scott's under house arrest because of that as well which doesn't exactly help them reconcile but they develop a theory about what happened to hope's missing mother Janet, who was the original Wasp, and while they're trying to work on that and pretend to each other they're not working on their relationship, they find out that someone else is after Hank Pym's technology and they might not even exist. But basically, it's a film about trying to fit dating around childcare and being a high-tech saboteur in a size-altering suit. That's fairly comprehensive. You know, if I was you, Tim, what I would do there is I would insert one of Louise's little explanations of the plot up to that point in here. (laughs) But your explanation is almost as good as Louise's one. So, yeah, I'm going to forego the usual question you ask about what you knew about the characters going in, because you've already had that conversation with Ben Baker on the Ant-Man episode, and you covered it fairly thoroughly, I think, both of you. So how how does this film move all those characters along? Because it's in its own way, in its own little box, slightly away from the rest of the MCU apart from a bit at the very end. It's kind of interesting because it came out between Avengers Infinity War and, well I know there are a couple of others 
in between, but Avengers yeah. Endgame. And apparently it was considered to be kind of in inverted commas the third one, to the extent that Peyton Reed, the director, deliberately wanted it because he knew about the length of the other two films to be as much under two hours as it could be. Yeah. So he wanted just a nice kind of, almost like it was what else was going on while those two films were going on, because it's very evidently set either just before Infinity War or during the build-up in it. Yeah. And apparently there are very cryptic clues in it to when it is set, which nobody appears to have spotted. Peyton Reed says they're in there and okay. nobody has quite deciphered it. It kind of doesn't really move along the whole kind of Marvel Cinematic Universe apart from moving those two characters forward to yeah. towards Endgame, which they play a massive part in, having yeah. not been in Infinity War. But it does kind of pick up on a few things. Two characters in it turn out to have been S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that were cut loose by Phil Coulson when S.H.I.E.L.D. went underground. And one of them, you could argue that was pretty cruel because she was kind of left on her own with her, well, not even a life-threatening condition, a life-challenging condition because half the time she blinks out of existence. And she's definitely, definitely going to dissipate, I guess, ultimately. Yeah. I would say die, but it's not clear if that would involve actually being dead or not. It was just, she just wouldn't be tangible anymore. And there is also a lot about the quantum realm, which I was recently surprised to find that was set up as far back as Thor The Dark World. I think nobody knows to start because because it was Thor the Dark World. I was going to say, did anyone notice anything in Thor the Dark World? I've heard your episode on it and I still don't. It, it's like it just sloshes straight out of my brain as soon as anything about it goes in. The most I can remember about Thor the Dark World is that one Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode that starts with well, the Asgardians made a bit of a mess here. And also there were some shoes going around in the time loop, which is a bit I tend to remember when I think no, of it. Time loop shoes, yeah, fair enough. I'll, I'll give them credit for that. But both of those things, like the dissolution of shield and the quantum realm are key to what happens with avengers endgame yes really really are and i think it's important it establishes their relationship as they're not like the other characters in the mcu because they've got an on-off romantic thing they are very clearly intended as almost like a cop buddy thing with kissing but apparently peyton reed's big influences for this were after hours midnight run and what's up doc and also although it's called that man and the wasp the wasp hope is front and center in this She's the main yeah. character, and apparently they toyed with calling it the Wasp and Ant-Man, but they felt it just didn't sit right that way round, in terms of saying, it's a bit like Lee and Herring versus Herring and Lee. It just didn't have <laughs> worked. It had to be Lee and Herring, so it had to be Ant-Man and the Wasp. It just sounds... Yeah. Yeah, it, Literally, right Wasp it, yeah. has a sting in its tail as the end yep. of that title, and I think that's why it works, whereas it just doesn't the other way round. But it was the first where really, really, it was all about the female character. I mean, I know there have been strong female characters before that that have taken the lead, but it is her movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I... And Evangeline Lilly is fantastic. I mean, I said that when we talk about Ant-Man, but she really nails the character and the kind of the high-speed crime-fighting romance thing. She really gets that. I think even more than Paul Rudd does, which is quite a high-set bar. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think as well, Michael Douglas does a really good job in this because he is good at playing nasty pieces of work. And while Hank is ultimately supposed to be a good guy we get more than a few glimpses of just what an awful human being he has been in the past oh yeah and he still has very little consideration for we might as well say ava star or brackets ghost as she's known who yeah. bill foster is former colleague as well mm. uh, they have both been treated indirectly in ava's case but appallingly by hank in the past and he yeah. doesn't seem to feel any need to make amends for that until it involves bringing his wife back yeah and it's actually his daughter 
and her boyfriend who are concerned about them. Yeah, you do get the impression that this is a man who has left a lot of wreckage in his wake just by not being bothered about anything but his own agenda. Absolutely. I think that, again, provides a balance between, you know, it isn't just a screwball romantic comedy, despite what's said. There's so much more in it. I mean, you know, there's the whole thing that we've not even touched on, Scott's gang, who are now trying to go legit as a private security <laughs> boat, who are hilarious, but are brilliant criminals, and therefore yep. brilliant security what would you say security let's go with consultants consultants that's it yeah i'm not even 100 percent sure that that is all they will be doing with their business to be honest with you no i mean i would question the wisdom of calling it ex-con <laughs> that doesn't seem like a good idea but... <laughs> and you've also got another interesting character jimmy Wu, who's the fbi agent who goes right <laughs> the way back to the 50s and is occasionally used in various Marvel things. We'll be coming back in one division on Disney Plus. He lends it a different dimension as well. And you know, there's Cassie, Scott's daughter, and his ex, and her new husband, who, as I mentioned in that tweet, actually quite like Scott. They want to see him do well. They want to see him back with hope. That brings me on to, I think, why this film connected with me so much. I mean, there does seem to be a slight downer on it, which is weird because it's got one of the highest aggregate appreciations of any Marvel film. Yeah, and I, I think hope it's so. because I found a lot to relate to in it because it came out almost exactly the same time as I was sort of in the same position as Scott and Hope. I was pushed back into the dating world at the same kind of age as them with the same kind of other things to weigh up in my life. It just really resonated with me, the fact that, you know, they're in that place where it's not the be-all and end-all of your life. It's something that you do in between the other stuff you have to do. Yeah. And you form an attachment to somebody, but you have what aren't quite rows as such. They're just extended, not talkings. And it later turns out that the main reason Hope got into the massive strop with Scott was when he went off to fight in Civil War, he didn't ask her to come with him, which is a really touching moment. It really works so well. I mean, there's that brilliant bit where only that's a couple of seconds, but they they decide to start kissing when they're trapped in the store cupboard in the school. Long story about why they're at the school. <laughs> but they keep setting up each other's size regulators to go smaller and bigger, which is fantastic. I also, I've been trying to look into the genealogy of the phrase, and I've not quite nailed it down. I'm not convinced that it's a coincidence that Ghost is the villain in this. Right. Because there is a whole thing of ghosting that comes into play when you're in that position as well. Ghost was a man in the comics, never identified as far yeah. as I know. But hacker, Ghost is male. He? Here, Ghost is a young woman thrust into something she doesn't want to be in and wants to get out of it. Is that kind of showing a human face to ghosting? I don't know. I'll be honest, I think you might be reaching a little <laughs> bit with that one, but I can I can see where you're going with it. I I, I get it. And I'm also glad that you clarified that, it, that you know the, the similar position you found yourself in was being thrust back into the dating world because I didn't recall you being held under house arrest for having a big fight at a German airport so well that's kind of half true about lockdown you know that's one thing I'll say. There was a comedy bit quite early on where Scott's finding ways to entertain himself during lockdown, you know, trying to learn card tricks, close yeah. up magic, trying to learn the drums and so on. People were screaming, laughing at that when I saw it in the cinema. Right now, it rings yeah. a bit hollow. It really <laughs> does. I mean, I talked about this film relating to my actual life. That felt a bit too close for comfort when I rewatched it recently. <laughs> no, that's that's fair enough. I felt a little of that. As we as we record this, lockdown is easing somewhat, and I've had the opportunity to, to go out and see some of my friends again so i think i probably didn't feel quite as bad about it but yeah you you are right very different viewing depending on the time when you view it where is scott lang 
Well, see, that's complicated. Because when I first met Scotty, he was in a bad place. And I'm not talking about Cell Black D. His wife had just filed for divorce. And I was like, damn, homie, she dumped it when you're on lockup. And he was like, yeah, I know. I thought I was going to be with her forever. But now I'm all alone. And I was like, damn, homie, you know what? You got to chin up because you'll find a new partner. But you know what? I'm Luis. And he says, you know what? I'm Scotty. And we're going to be best friends. Okay, hold on, hold on. I like a good story as much as the next person, but what in the hell does this have to do with where Scott Lang is? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You put a dime in him, you got to let the whole song play out. He's like human jukebox. Oh, my abuelita had a jukebox in the restaurant. Yeah, only played Morrissey. And if anybody ever complained, she'd be like, oh, no te gusta más? You know, Chicanos, we call them más. Then adios. Uh, what can I say? You know, we relate to his melancholy ballads, you know? Lang. Right, 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 right. So anyway, this guy gets out of jail and he starts working for Hank. That's when he met Hope. And Hope's all like, I want nothing to do with you. Look at my hair, dude. I'm all business. And then Scotty's like, you know what, girl? My heart is all broken and I'll probably never find love again. But damn if I want to kiss you. But then you fast forward and they're all like into each other, right? And then Scotty's like, you know what? I can't tell you this, but I'm going to go trash an airport with Captain America. And then she said, I can't believe you split like that. Smell you later, dummy. So Scotty goes on house arrest and he won't admit it. But his heart is all like, damn, I thought Hope could have been my new true partner, but I blew it. But fate brought him back together and then Hope's heart is all, I'm worried that I can't trust him and he's gonna screw up again and ruin everything. And then my heart is all like, that fancy raspberry filling represents a company's red and we're days away from going out of business. Oh, out of business. Days away? Damn, truth, Sam. And you know, I, I was trying to protect you guys. I swear to God, you know, I was trying to be a good boss, but we're broke and the Carpenters are last hope and if we don't show up, we're done. That's terrible bossing. Damn, bro. That's on me, that's on me. Hey. Interesting that they brought the Bill Foster character into this, because obviously in the real Marvel universe, he gets killed in Civil War, which is the thing before this. Like, he's the main initial casualty from it. So I was kind of surprised to see him. It's, it's an odd choice to bring in. Well, and also, he was... Well, he went through various names, including the unfortunate Black Goliath, but he yeah. was Goliath and Giant Man. Yes. And that's basically what Scott became in Civil War, when he worked out how to make the suit big. And yeah. so kind of took away. I mean, they make... A vague suggestion that he was working on that as a project with Hank and it didn't go anywhere which is kind of almost an in-joke really but it's one of those characters where they brought in because they needed the character but they didn't need the superhero yeah. a bit like Typhoid Mary is in the Iron Fist TV series oh, okay. it's kind of that thing where you know they thought we like this person's character we don't need another superpower person let's use them as they are and I think that works quite effectively actually here I was just looking as well apparently the character that was Walton Goggins plays Sonny Birch is a Marvel character. He's not newly invented for it. He was an Iron Man villain, basically, that acquired Iron Man's patents at points. That's a big threat. I've got a I know. Well, I'd say, so according to Wikipedia, he didn't understand that even the outdated technology was too sophisticated to adapt it. And yeah, lots of bad things happen as a result. Walton Goggins is always great, but he's never yes. better than when he's playing as a sleazy villain, which he does perfectly here. He is superb here he really is and I even think his look is perfect because they're giving him slightly longer hair he's got yeah. just the right kind of southern accent that yeah. indicate nastiness without being stereotyped you know yeah. that everyone in this is great actually I don't think there's a duff bit of casting at all it's a shame that Judy Greer doesn't have more to do but that's true of roughly 80% of things that Judy Greer is in she is forever playing a wife and 
she could really do with more to do in most things but yeah no it's it's again it's a good it's a good cast and there's so many good just one-liners in it as well like this cassie gives scott a trophy for the world's best grandma because they have <laughs> nothing else in the shop there's yeah. when jimmy tries to explain to her why scott's under house arrest he says you know how in school you're not allowed to draw on the walls your dad went to germany with captain america and drew on the walls <laughs> i liked the bit as well where you've got the big i say villain it's it's bill foster monologue scene where he's going to explain the whole thing and then Scott's phone starts going and you then get a, a, a video call because his daughter can't find her shoes uh, shoes which she expressly told her to take with her in the yeah. first scene yeah, yeah, yeah. and also um, the fact that he doesn't answer the call so she tries another app instead yeah yeah that's exactly <laughs> it and then that's the impetus of course for them being in his house later on because they need to go and get the shoes yeah. Um, but yeah there's, there's a lot of I have a great fond for stuff being undercut like that which this film does plenty of you know I mean, and as you, you've said the the character of Jimmy Woo is that entirely he is the exact opposite of what an FBI agent pursuing someone should be if you take the Tommy Lee Jones character from The Fugitive and completely invert it that is Jimmy Woo it's just a nice guy that wants to be wrong about the fact that Scott he thinks Scott's escaped you know he doesn't he doesn't want him to have done anything wrong and as well they just give such great dialogue to the two of them the bit that always really stands out to me is when they're talking about germany and the fact he didn't ask her to go and he makes a reference to cap (laughs) hope says oh it's cap now is it in a way that is 50 percent you are a ridiculous man and 50 percent i find this very endearing (laughs) that is so realistic for that kind of relationship yes yes it is the only little disappointment for me in this and that's probably because i've only recently watched the two newer jumanji films is that when paul rudd is supposed to be doing a michelle pfeiffer impression he's really not he's really not doing anything with it at all he's 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 speaking in a very slightly different cadence and that's it. Whereas if you watch those Jumanji films, The Rock does a really good Danny DeVito. But there's also, to counter that out, there is the ant impersonating him. Yes, that's... (laughs) Hope and Hank program a life-size ant to replicate Scott's actions during the day with his ankle tag on so that they can sneak him out to work on the theory about getting Janet back from the quantum realm. We'll come back to the other post-credits bit in a minute, but I love the fact that the film just ends with the ant still playing the drums oblivious. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to talk about that in the context of the initial post credit scene. I think that's because for me, that final scene is very much sort of like, I don't know what tone you're trying for in this last few minutes of this film. I, I don't think you could decide what you were doing quite there or possible studio interference I think is more likely but should we should we talk about that post credit scene yes well it's basically I mean I d- don't think you can really spoil their Infinity War and Endgame I think they've been out no. long enough and they broke all box office records but yeah. it's basically what happened to them during Thanos' snap which is that Scott sent into the quantum realm to get some quantum particles to try and help Ghost get her physical form back while they're preparing to pull him out Janet Hope and Hank all get snapped and disappear. Scott's left in there, which obviously, if you've not seen this, but you've seen Endgame, you'll know what happens there. I think there's a deliberate contrast to, you know, the ending of Infinity War is quite shocking, really. I know some people have said their kids were really upset, you know, saying, is Spider-Man dead? The Spider-Man one is the distressing one in all of it. You know? I found Groot the most distressing one in it, but we're doing the Infinity War one here. But this was, you know, it is 
still isn't a pleasant thing. These three people that you've just invested, you know, this whole thing yeah. in, have just vanished. But it is trying to do a more comic take on that cliffhanger. They disappear. Scott is tumbling obliviously on with a Paul Rudd expression on his face. And then right at the end, you get Ant-Man and the Wasp will return, question mark, which slowly appears after about a second. I think they were deliberately trying to kind of pull back a bit from the shock of Infinity War and to say, hey, everything's still going on. We don't know how it's going to be fine yet, but it's going to be fine. You are still going to have the same sort of films. It's a, it doesn't work that way for me at all. I, I, that may well have been what they were going for. It feels to me almost as grim as the end of Infinity War because... Possibly slightly grimmer watching it this time because I know it's coming. There's something just, you know, you know he's going to get stuck in there. And knowing that going in is, is... And it's the fact that it gets all three of them as well, that the snap gets all three of them. It is a bit convenient, that really, isn't it? Given that, you know, the most famous of the Avengers all survived. And then there's also, obviously, the even more unfortunate implication that if Ghost wasn't got by the snap, she's done because... Scott's still in there with those particles she needed. So, and then, yeah, for me, then capping that off with the programmed ant playing the drums is too much of a wrench for me personally. I get what the aim of it is, but it's just... Mm. I can see in that context, it's probably a bit like when the BBC used to close down for the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> that. Will there ever be television again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we know now everything that happens afterwards and, and what will be fine and what won't be fine. But yeah, at that point, it's all a bit grim and having a comedy ant playing the drums doesn't do it for me personally. Well, there is the whole question mark, which I don't think will ever be answered unless they do it in what if about what else went on during that time because they have talked about they briefly thought about having the defenders in infinity war and the only mm. thing they revealed was that luke cage would have been snapped they haven't okay. commented on the others i don't think the punisher would have been because he would have been too angry no <laughs> All kinds of other stuff must have gone on during that time. And there's a series of runaways which is theoretically set during it, but it doesn't really mention it. There's, you know, obviously stuff happened in Spider-Man's world, in everyone else's world. The second series of The Punisher could be set during them because there's so evidently less people in it. But what happened during that time? I would love to know. And the only people where we know exactly what happened to them are Hope wasn't there and Scott was stuck in the quantum realm. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And, well, and Hank as well. Hank wasn't there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> people that were definitely snapped. We, yes. we know we know that they weren't there, but yeah. The people <laughs> that... I don't think we will ever see Marvel touching that particular bit of continuity because it's so bleak. That first act of Endgame is, is bleak enough that you wouldn't want an entire film set in that. You are right. It's a bleak ending to a film, a bleak starting to another film. And we're talking about a comedy film coming in between them. That is yeah. quite audacious, really. It is, it is. But that's... That's why I said at the start of this, I feel like it sits in, the, in a box by itself almost. Unlike, you know, when, when you and Ben were talking about the original Ant-Man, there's that, that scene crowbarred in the middle where it's like, hey, here's Falcon. There's nothing like that in this. It, it sticks to its own internal continuity. It makes references to other things, but it doesn't feel the need to bring them in for a scene. It is its own thing up until that post credit scene. So, yeah. I like that they did that because we all needed that after Infinity War's ending. On a lighter note, <laughs> two things to be 
feature I want to mention, which is my favourite Stan Lee cameo, when his car accidentally gets shrunk and he says, the 60s were fun, but now I'm paying for it. <laughs> but also, there's, I mean, there's a great fight scene where Hope's trying to escape from Walton Goggins' henchmen through a restaurant kitchen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're coming at her, you know, with meat tenderizers and so on. It's good and it's funny, but you know what it made me think of? What? The Morecambe will buy a stripper routine. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean now. You've said that. that. It's ridiculous that I do, but yes, that absolutely fits. That's... This is possibly my second favourite Stan Lee cameo. My favourite one is from Into the Spider-Verse, but that's for another episode for someone else. So there's only one thing left for me to ask now, Tim. If you were trapped and isolated from the world for a long period of time, what would you use the time for? Do you know what I would probably do? I'd probably do all those Marvel Lego sets that got given at various points. <laughs> Imagine if I had an Ant-Man and the Wasp one with the Quantum Realm Explorer vehicle. What a neat coincidence that would be. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I would start a podcast about rewatching all the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Sadly, I started just before lockdown. So. <laughs> Tim, thank you very much. And Excelsior. Excelsior to you, sir. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.